said it earlier, but if you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the chair in front of you, and you will find our reading in Galatians chapter 3, beginning on page 973 of the church Bible, page 973, under the heading, The Law and the Promise. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the passage, and I've asked one of the members of our church, Mason McRae, to come up and to pray for us. Before we get started, um, I will work our way through the passage verse by verse. It should take around 45 minutes or so. Mason, if you can just kind of come up now, and uh, I'll read the passage, and then he's going to lead us in a prayer. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. To give a human example, brothers... Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the offsprings, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Brother, will you pray? Morning, Quarterstone. Does this? Okay, yeah, it's working. Um, so I'm going to read a couple verses really quick. I don't have time to go into the context, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, Paul says, But as for you, con- continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I I recommend you go back and look at the rest of this chapter to see the context, but this is what I'm grounding my, my prayer in. So will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we bow our heads before you in humble submission to you and to your word, your inspired word before us that was written by the Apostle Paul as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Fill us with this same spirit this morning, that we not only hear, but that we understand, that we are shaped and molded by your word week after week. Clear our minds and put a desire in our hearts to hear your word. Apart from you, we can understand nothing. For your word is the foundation of truth and knowledge. 
Help us to put aside any anxiety, whether about our jobs, our kids, or the state of our government. We have faith and trust in you alone. And we know all things are working according to your plan for your glory. This is why we are gathered here this morning to sing praises to you, to pray to you, to partake in the Lord's Supper, and to hear your word faithfully preached. Bless Pastor Jamie as he faithfully preaches and teaches your word this morning. May we bring glory to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, brother. Let's look at verse 15 again. Paul writes, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. James Brown, who is called the Godfather of Soul, died in 2006. When he died, he was worth, he was worth $50 million. In his will, he left his entire estate to a charity that sought to educate disadvantaged youths. That didn't sit well with his family, which survived him. His widow and his nine adult children fought to change the Godfather of Souls' will. They fought it in probate court, and they lost, because a will should not be changed after a person dies. A similar thing happened to billionaire J. Howard Marshall II when he died in 1995 at the age of 90. A year before he died, he had married his third wife, Anna Nicole Smith, when she was 26 years old. When Marshall died, he left Miss Smith out of his will, and she fought that in court, and she lost because a will should not be changed after a person has died. Well, this kind of thing happens often whenever a wealthy person dies. People fight for their part in the inheritance. Cousins and unknown children come out of the woodwork, and it gets ugly oftentimes. People are accused of coercion. There are questions of legitimacy. Sometimes even DNA tests are run. Probate court can take years and many, many thousands of dollars because greed is big business. Here in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he's been addressing some teaching that had sprung up in the churches in the region of Galatia. And this teaching was, in a way, about inheritance. The, Galatians, the, the letter to the Galatians was a bit like probate court for God's estate. Who will inherit the blessings of God? When God had promised forgiveness of sin, eternal life, immeasurable riches in the kingdom of God, everlasting joy and happiness, who receives those promises and on what basis do they receive them? When Paul first came to Galatia, he told them that the blessings of God came by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that the blessings of God were for all who trusted in Jesus Christ 
by faith. That nothing needed to be done. You didn't need to be any sort of person in order to receive the blessings of God. But you could be a Jew. You could be a Gentile. You could be a slave. You could be a free person. You could be a male. You could be a female. Any and all who are trusting in Jesus Christ by faith will receive the blessings of God. But then after Paul left Galatia, some false teachers came, and they claimed that Paul was wrong about that, that a person receives the blessings of God by keeping the law of God. You get the blessings of God by living like a Jew. And so that more of God's law that you kept... The more God was pleased with your life and the bigger slice of God's pie you would get in this life and in the next. And so it made the Galatian church confused and they, be, they began to act like siblings squabbling over their dead father's inheritance. And this letter is Paul's correction. Indeed, it's even Paul's rebuke of that false teaching. He shows how that teaching is a distortion of the gospel. More than that, it is a distortion of the very character of God. Earlier in chapter 3, he explained that Christians start with the gospel of Jesus Christ and finish with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The faith that saves is the faith that sanctifies that you become a Christian, you mature as a Christian, you finish as a Christian drinking from the same well. We never graduate from the gospel. Paul goes on to show that this is how it has always been from the very beginning. He goes back to Abraham. That God's blessing to Abraham was received by faith. God made a promise, Abraham believed that promise, and God counted Abraham's belief, his faith, as righteousness, and the blessing was received. Last Sunday, we saw that keeping the law as a basis for God's blessing is not only impossible, it has the opposite effect, it brings a curse, because it's like saying that God has died, and He's left your inheritance on the moon. But don't worry, He's made you a ladder. Best of luck. Here in verse 15 to 18 of Galatians 3, Paul explains how God's probate court actually works. It shows that the blessing of God, His inheritance, has been given to His Son, the living heir. And that blessing, that inheritance is promised to any and to all who are united to Christ by faith. So Paul's point in these four verses is rather simple, but it is immensely profound. It is this, look to Jesus Christ, the living heir, and receive the promised blessing of God. Look to Jesus Christ, the living heir, to receive the promised blessing of God. So God has promised His blessing to any and all who are trusting in His Messiah. That is what God has said. That is His 
promise. That is God's will, and that is God's will, if you catch what I'm saying. It is the covenant that He made. It is God's promise, and a promise is a promise, and that won't change. Here in verse 15, Paul tells the Galatians to to look at man-made covenants. Even man-made covenants cannot be changed once a person dies. Once the covenant has been ratified, it can't be changed. You can't add to it. You can't take anything from it. So Anna Nicole Smith, poor thing, no matter how much she tried, she couldn't get probate court to change her dead husband's will. This will was ratified by his death, and that would not change. And Paul is saying, if that's how man-made covenants work, how much more unchangeable is the one that God made? See, this false teaching in Galatia claimed that Abraham received God's blessing by faith, but then God must have changed his mind later and added conditions. Now we must keep the law in order to receive the promise that God made. And Paul's like, no way. God doesn't change. A promise is a promise. And this is true even if you look back to the way in which God made that promise with Abraham. So if you're not super familiar with the Bible, Abraham is one of the first major characters in the Bible. He appears in like the 12th chapter of the Bible. He lived about 2,000 years before Jesus. And God chose Abraham to be the father of His chosen people. And at the time, Abraham had no land and no children. And God promised to give him land and so many descendants that they would be like the stars in the sky. And God reaffirmed that covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. And He told Abraham, take some animals and kill them and cut them in half. Put half of the pieces on this side and half of the pieces in a line on this side. And we'll make a covenant. And, and, and this would have been familiar to Abraham back in those days. That's how covenant agreements were made. You take an animal, you would kill it, you would separate its parts, there would be an aisle in the middle, and the two of you would, make, you would walk through this aisle. It was symbolically saying that if I don't keep the terms of this covenant that I am making with you, what has happened to these animals deserves to, be happen, deserves to happen to me. So just like they die, I should die. So when God entered His covenant with Abraham, it was Abraham who slaughtered the animals, but it was only God who walked the aisle. Genesis 15 says that a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And while he slept, God walked the aisle alone. And in this, God was saying at least two things. First, He was saying that I will bring about this promise that I have made myself. What I have promised, I will do. And he was also saying that if the terms of this covenant are broken and death is deserved, I will be the one to die. And on that day, the Lord reaffirmed His promise to Abraham, saying, to your offspring, I will give my blessing. And this is where Paul points in verse 16. Have a look at that again. Now, the promises 
were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, it's not a point of the text, but I would like to point out the Apostle Paul's view of the Bible. Paul trusted the Bible he read. He believed it to be God's Word. So much so that entire doctrines could be drawn from whether or not a noun appeared in the singular or in the plural. That's Paul's view of the Bible. Cornerstone, be wary of any teaching that is built on a low view of Scripture. Paul trusted in his Bible, and so should we. So God promised Abraham, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Paul notes that God didn't make this to offsprings, but to offspring, referring to one. He's saying that the blessing of God is not in the Jewish people, but in the Jewish Messiah, the one. And so, the Galatians didn't have to become Jewish in order to receive God's blessing. They didn't need to climb the ladder of the law all the way to the moon to receive their inheritance. Because God's promise was not to offsprings who kept the law. God's promise was to the offspring. Not that crappy 90s grunge band the offspring, but the offspring, God's own Son, Jesus Christ, who Himself kept the law perfectly. What the Galatians needed in order to receive God's blessing was to be united to God's Son. They needed Jesus Christ because in Him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the living heir who receives the inheritance of His Father's blessing. Hebrews 1 calls Him the heir of all things. Hebrews 2.8 says that there is nothing outside of His control. He owns it all. Colossians 1.16, in Him, in Jesus, were all things made, and they were, they were made in Him and for Him. Everything is His. And so, if you're looking for God's blessing on your life, if you're longing for God's favor over your life, if you desire that God would be pleased with your life, look to Jesus Christ. That's where God's favor is. That's where His blessing is. He is where God's pleasure is. Isn't that what God Himself said when Jesus was on the earth? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The pleasure of God is contained in a person, Jesus Christ. In Him alone will you receive the blessings of God. So if you're a guest with us today and you're not a Christian, 
If you've never heard this before, I'm really glad you came. You picked the perfect Sunday to come to church. Because I want you to know that what you're looking for in your life, the peace, the pleasure of God in your life, it is found in Jesus Christ. Look to Him to receive God's blessing, to have your sins forgiven, to be given eternal life, to have joy everlasting. Look to Jesus Christ, as so many here have already done. Don't leave here today without trusting in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, and then tell someone about it. More than that, invite someone to lunch this week and get them to commit to you that every week you will meet and study the Bible together so that you can learn more about joy in Jesus as you learn more about the man Jesus. There's something beautiful in the fact that only God walked the covenant aisle when He made His promise to Abraham. It was like God was saying to Abraham, son, if you don't keep the covenant, I'll keep it. And when you break the covenant, the death you deserve, I will suffer. I'll take that death too, because that's just what God did. Jesus Christ, God the Son, walked the hill of Calvary with a cross on His back. With the sin of the whole world on His shoulders. To die in the place of those who broke God's covenant. The penalty of Abraham's sin, his failure to keep God's covenant, was suffered by God Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So not only do you find the favor of God in Jesus, but you, for, you find forgiveness from God in Jesus. What did Abraham have to do to receive the blessing of God? He just had to believe that God was good for it. Faith alone in Christ alone. And so it is through Christ, through the offspring who would come, God would keep His promise to Abraham. And the message of God's favor would spread to the nations of the earth. And in Christ, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And this was, this was contrary to what the Galatians were believing. They thought the blessing of God came by works of the law. And this is the next point that Paul makes in verse 17. The blessing of God came to Abraham before Moses received the law. Actually, it came to Abraham before Moses was even a glimmer in his parents' his parents' his parents' his eyes. Let's have a look at verse 17 again. This is what I mean, Paul says. I really appreciate it when Paul's like, all right, guys, this is what I mean. It makes dumb people like me feel smart. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So he's saying to the Galatians, do the math. Abraham came before Moses. Now, some of you might not know the Old Testament timeline, and that's okay. Keep reading your Bible. Keep coming to church. You'll get this. But Paul's point is that Abraham, who is the father of the faith, received the promise of God by faith hundreds of years before Moses received the law. 
So for someone to claim that God's promise to Abraham came on the basis of keeping the law of Moses was totally wrong. Not even Abraham kept the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses came 430 years after Abraham received the promise. And thus, the law does not annul God's covenant. When God signed on the dotted line of His covenant, it was done. God had made His promise, and a promise is a promise. Hebrews chapter 6 says that when God wanted to swear by something, to make sure that his promise was going to be legit. He had nothing greater than himself to swear by, so he swore by himself, saying, if I don't keep my promise, I will cease to be God. So nothing Abraham did, or anyone did for that matter, would render God's promise invalid. So whatever the point of the law, is. Lord willing, we'll look at this next Lord's Day. Whatever the point of the law of Moses, it was not to overturn God's covenant promises. Because God's blessing came by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and the law didn't change it. These folks in Galatia were putting stipulations on the promises of God that God Himself had not put. So if law-keeping were added as a condition of God's inheritance, then God's inheritance wasn't a promise. If you started by faith alone and then moved on to works of the law, then the covenant that God made with Abraham is invalid, and God lied. Do you, see how pro- do you see how important this is to Paul? Do you see how the character of God is on the line here? So when we begin to believe or listen to those who teach Jesus plus something, whatever it is, equals salvation, that's just not a minor wrong. That is wrong at the very core of who God is and what He has done. If the false teachers were right, God got away with the biggest bait-and-switch in history. He's worse than those dirty appliance places. Well, they, they advertise these great, amazing refrigerator deals, and then you go in to get your refrigerator, and like, oh, shoot, we sold out, but we got this crappy one for more money. That's not how God works. The cross proves that's not how God works. God does not bait and switch. God keeps His word. A promise is a promise. So whatever the point of the law, it is not an alteration of the covenant of promise. A relationship with God and access to His blessings comes by faith alone in Christ alone. And that will not and cannot be altered. Because if a promise came by law-keeping, then it isn't a promise. And that's that's the point Paul makes in verse 18. If the inheritance comes by the law, 
It no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So imagine a rich man writes you a letter. And you read this letter, and it says, Come to my house 6 p.m. tomorrow, and I will give you $10 million. What do you have to do to receive that $10 million? You just have to believe that the man has $10 million and that he's good for his promise. And you show up and you receive the money. But what if the letter read, come to my house tomorrow at 6 p.m., take care of me and my household until I die, and then I will give you $10 million. That's still a very generous gift, but what's the difference? One is a promise and one is wages. One is a promise, and the other one is the law. If I make you a promise, and then I make you earn the, the blessing of that promise, then I haven't promised you anything. It wasn't a promise. It was a salary, and I'm a liar, and I'm a jerk. Law and promise are mutually exclusive. And the Galatians were acting like the blessings of God were a salary. Paul uses this word in inheritance in verse 18. It's it's a really important word. But the blessing of God, the forgiveness of sins we've been talking about, eternal life we've been talking about, joy everlasting, it is not payment for a life well lived. It is a promise to a child well loved. The blessing of God is not a payment for a life well lived, but a promise to a child well loved. I'm going to say that again. The blessing of God is not payment for a life well lived, but a promise to a child well loved. You have got to get this idea straight from Galatians 3, locked in your head. When a father gives his children their inheritance, he's saying, I have worked, I have saved, I have stored up and amassed wealth, and what is mine? is yours. What do the kids have to do to deserve this? Nothing. They just had to get born. He gives the inheritance to them because He loves them. And so it is with all who have been united to Christ. Cornerstone, stop trying to earn God's favor. You already have it. What an offense it is to Jesus, the Lord of glory, who endured the hatred of man and the wrath of God to secure your favor and then to go and live your life as if you've got to earn it in some way. 
Do you now reject what God has done in Christ and, and tell your Savior that He didn't do enough? That somehow with your own good deeds, you're going to make up for what He couldn't get done on the cross? Pick up His slack. Stop trying to earn what is already yours in Jesus. Once you take hold of Christ, you have the favor of God. He is the favor of God. Do you see that salvation by works does not honor God? It belittles Him. That God is glorified in being the kind of God who makes promises and then keeps promises? That God is not honored when we treat Him as if He's made a promise and then reneged. If the inheritance comes by your keeping of God's law, then it no longer comes by God's keeping of His promise. So when we receive the blessing of God, it won't be because we kept the law of God. It will be because Jesus did You'll be in heaven because Jesus is. And you'll see, receive the blessing of God because you've been united to Him. At the judgment seat, God the Father will evaluate your life by the standards of His law. And while that thing is being read and you fail on every single point, He will look to His Son and say, a promise is a promise. Is she yours? Then she's mine. Righteous. Romans 8, 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, a sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Cornerstone, through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. You are sons and daughters of God. Paul writes at the end of this chapter, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Some of you just totally get this. I've seen this truth in your life worked out in this church. I see it so often. I feel like I'm the luckiest pastor in the world. I have watched wives suffer for their husband's sin and sustain deep wounds and then hand her broken heart back to her Savior and then back to her husband, knowing full well that there's a good chance he'll break it again, but she'll take it right back to Jesus and hand it right back to him. Because a promise is a promise. I've watched husbands endure the sin of their wives and suffer and stay and fight for the marriage. Because a promise is a promise. I've seen you give grace over and over and over again to sometimes the same people. 
without delay, without hesitation, in humble submission to your Lord. I've watched you care for one another, change the tires of one another, clean one another's houses, give up weekends to work on the church, give up weekends to help others move. I've seen members of this church who've completely abandoned their commitments to you and then pop in and you welcome them with open arms. Because a promise is a promise. I've watched some of you serve thanklessly, tirelessly for years. These two right here, Corey and Mary, have served you for over six years in their music ministry, volunteering hour after hour to benefit us. Rudy and Brooke Ruiz aren't in here right now because they're serving us tirelessly week after week in the children's ministry. Every Lord's Day, you turn up. The seats are clean. The coffee cups you left behind are thrown away. The worship guides, which got scattered everywhere, are gone. Coats that you left behind are hung up for you. Because behind the scenes, Brooklyn Flora dropped in and cleaned the church without fail, without pay, without a word. Did you know that there are folks who show up some evenings through the week just to pray for you? I won't tell you who they are. I won't tell you when they show up. But I want you to know that the Lord is sustaining you through your week using their prayers, and you don't even know who they are. Why would someone pray and serve and give like that? of this. It's because of Jesus. It's because in Him, the least deserving receive the greatest blessing, immeasurable riches, forgiveness of sin, joy everlasting. Because when you understand what you have been given in Christ, this is just what you do. You understand that money isn't a way to acquire more comfort, but a way to serve the advance of the gospel in your town, in your country, in your world. You understand that freedom in Christ isn't so that you can live however you want, it's so that you can become all things to all people so that by all means you might save some. You don't forgive someone so that they'll be impressed and so that God will be pleased. You know that God is already pleased. It's just that you want others to know the same pleasure you know. And maybe if you forgive, then they'll see a little something of the beauty of God in that forgiveness. You turn the other cheek because, not because you want others to see two red cheeks and think you're especially holy and you have great faith. You turn the other cheek because God is pleased with you. And maybe the person who slapped you will see your cheek and your other cheek and their red hand, and they'll see something of the beauty of God 
that they've never seen before. Church membership isn't so that you can become an insider in a club. It's so that you can have more opportunities to care for the spiritual well-being of others. We Christians don't work hard so that we can retire well and be idle. We work hard to retire well to be more useful in the kingdom. The life that we have been given, we don't live to ourselves or for ourselves. This life is lived to serve the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that in Him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We are the beneficiaries of Christ's work. We deserve hell, but God made a promise to His Son, and He will keep that promise. That the Father's blessing, His riches, His favor belongs to His Son, and by grace belongs to all who turn to Him in faith. No one has to earn anything. In Jesus, they've already received it, and there's nothing they can do that will change that, because a promise is a promise. Amen. At this point in our service, we go to the Lord and we pray a prayer of confession. And so, although I'll be the one leading the prayer, as Pastor Matt did earlier, I would invite you to pray with me. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before You. And in love, You predestined us for adoption to Yourself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ and according to the purpose of your will and all to the praise of your glorious grace with which you blessed us in the beloved. In Jesus, we have received redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of your grace which you lavished upon us. <laughs> in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of your will. That according to your purpose, which you set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, that you would unite all things in Jesus, things that are in heaven and things here on earth. In Jesus, we have received an inheritance. Having been predestined according to your purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of your will. So that we who hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Jesus, when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in Him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Lord, thank you for this truth. Forgive us for having forgotten it, for living as if it weren't true. To you be all the praise and glory and honor. 